This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers the teaching entitled Solve Conflict. This is the fourth message in the series, Keep It Together. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. We get a chance to wrap up our family series. We've taken a four-week walk through what God might want to pour into the foundations of our families to keep them together. And we've had a little bit of fun, as you've, you've known throughout this series, taking a look back at some of the fun that happened in the 80s and 90s sitcoms, and we probably took it a step too far and made our own sitcoms. So we get a chance today for the last time to check in with the Keep It family. So if you would, grab your Bibles, your bulletins, and your pens, and let's jump into week four of Keep It Together. Enjoy. Kids at home and there's no time to play Life's a little more stressful each day Even when we fall apart at the seams Our family's gonna follow our dreams So we gotta keep it together Cause we know the future gets better Even when the world says whatever What's up, Jason? Come here, sit down. Let Uncle Richie teach you about how to talk to the ladies. No, no, not there. Sit here. Why can't I sit there? I've rigged the house with a few pranks for your dad for when he gets home from work. <laughs> when we were young, I used to do this kind of stuff all the time, man. Really? Like, what kind of pranks? Well, there's this one time I put a needle. Honey, I'm home. Why, hello, Richard. Let me guess, running low on groceries again? Just the essentials, though. Some Smurfberry Crunch, a couple shark bites. Hey, Mikey, why don't you come in here? I was just about to teach Jason the way you talk to the ladies. Come on, have a seat. Hmm. Those are taco-flavored Doritos. Yes, sir. <laughs> come to Papa's. Oh, my God. <laughs> Got your big bro. <laughs> Richard, I told you, no more pranks in the house. Oh, come on. It's not a big deal. Take a chill pill. Hey, big brother, while you're up, would you mind grabbing me a Snapple out of the fridge? You know high blood pressure runs in our family, mm -hmm. right? The last thing any of us needs is to have to go to the hospital for some... <laughs> Can't believe you didn't see that one coming, bro. Yeah, you should have seen that coming, bro. Jason, I'm going to need you to run upstairs for a little while. Okay. Your Uncle Richard and I have some things we need to talk about. Uh, yeah, but after that, can Uncle Rich teach me how to talk to girls? No. Yes. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, okay. Richard, come have a seat. I'm gonna stash this and I'll be right back. Save me some of those Doritos. Well, there you have it, just like the Keep It family. All our families are figuring out how you keep it together. And that means even in the midst of conflict. So we made it to week four. Here we are, solve conflict for things. They're in your teaching notes. Cross the campuses, grab your teaching notes. Do a little bit of fill in the blank. Let's jump into the subject. Four things that help keep a family together. The first one is build solid. Say it with me, everybody. Build what? That's right, build solid. You remember the chocolate solid bunny and the hollow chocolate bunny. The fact that it takes 75% more chocolate to be solid. See, in a dating relationship, marriage relationship, or family, people know it costs more to build solid. But when you do, when the pressure comes on, you can still hold it together, you don't fall apart. What does it mean to build solid? Put Christ at the center of your life. And as you build solid, then you build sacred. Build what? Sacred, that's right. You figure out what, is the, what are the sacred values that are going to translate into our life and into our family. And we gave some suggestions and, and talked about what it means to let sacred be the, the mortar that holds the bricks together. And really, that leads us into solve calendar. Solve what? Calendar is where we left off last week, meaning that if it doesn't make it to your calendar, it's not sacred. Your calendar should be in alignment from what's sacred. If you miss the teaching, get it online. This is how you build family and keep it together. And now, having a dress-solve calendar, knowing that we've 
probably resolved over 50% of the conflict that you experience in family. Now we can talk about week four, solve conflict. Solve what? Conflict. Sure, jot it down. This is today's talk. Another very variety of ways to talk about solving conflict, but I want to I talk through it from the perspective of the three circles of conflict. There is conflict in family, and that's, that's one of the major circles, and no family escapes it. But maybe you've never thought about this before. But conflict in family is usually a result of unresolved conflict in the next circle, the unresolved conflict in marriage. And whether you've thought about this before or not, the majority of conflict in marriage is a result of unresolved conflict within. Unresolved conflict where? Within. If you will deal with conflict within, it will free you up to deal with conflict in marriage, freeing you up to deal with conflict in family. So let's talk about them one at a time. Let's unpack it. You have in your notes, let's talk about conflict within. Now, Paul is speaking about conflict within in Colossians chapter 3. So let's grab our Bibles, go right to where we left off last weekend. Colossians chapter 3, page 1184, page 1184, Worship Center Bible, right underneath your chair. Pull out that Bible, turn to page 1184. Paul is writing from prison in Rome, trying to encourage the church. They are facing all sorts of deceptive philosophies from this world. He's trying to help them see through them to the truth. And among those, chapter 3, verse 5, he says, put to death. Put to what, church? To death. In other words, listen, there are things that need to die. No longer need to be a part of your life. In fact, verse 7, he writes it this way. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves. In other words, continue to die to stuff. Rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. In fact, he gives the other side of it in verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oh, that's good. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which brings them all together in perfect unity. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Oh, that right there. You almost need to underline that. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Now he's writing to the church. This should actually define how the church cooperates, how we manage conflict together, even as a church, but it gives instruction right into your own personal family, not just the church family. And he gives insight into solving conflict within. In other words, when you walk with God, God's going to transform you from the inside out. He's going to deal with the conflict within that builds inside of you. And we all have that. See, this, this conversation about rid yourself of anger, what is that? That's conflict within you first. And rage, conflict that builds within, pressure, and, and, and malice, and slander. See, there's pressure that builds within, and then it just erupts in malice and anger and rage all over a dating relationship or a marriage or your family. Now, let me see if I can help illustrate how the pressure within has a tendency to be building on the inside well before it happens on the outside. You know, we're celebrating the 30th anniversary season of 12 Stone, which we will specifically do on February the 11th. But 30 years ago, we planted the church, and we started in a movie theater, for, rented that for a while, and then rented a dinner theater, and then ended up in a jazzercise, literally for a few years, in a jazzercise. Yeah, it was quite, quite entertaining. And during that time, we had a, a, like an all-church event. And since we were quite small, it, it didn't, it, there weren't many of us. And, and uh, those who showed up, we were going whitewater rafting up at the Nantahala. And this is a classic 12-stone uh, story from back in the day. Now, I was already tense. I already had pressure building from the inside out. I just tell you, because when I was young, early teenage years, though I could swim and, and, and had taken swimming lessons, I was quite a good swimmer, uh, I had one of those moments where swimming under a deep dock and, and got my neck caught in the chain and, you know, kind of one of those near panic drowning moments. And I just decided from that day forward, I know I'm going to die someday. I'm just not going to die from drowning. 
Okay, I'm not going to put myself in any situation. So that was, that was already built up in me. So when we're going on this whitewater thing, I mean, I don't want to go because I know I'm going to die, but I'm not going to die drowning. And this is like setting myself up. The only thing that makes it mildly manageable is that we have guides for each of our rafts. So we get to the outdoor center and we all load up on buses and they're taking the rafts and us up. But it was, not, it was more than just 12 stone because we were a small group. There are other families groups with us. But as they're driving up, the, uh, the guides, all the female guides... Decide to let us in on a little something. We don't have enough guides for every raft. And I'm like, that's really too bad because I'm not going to die today drowning. So um, somebody's going to guide our raft. And they said, we just need two volunteers here on the bus. Just two volunteers. I just need two people to step up and be captains of their own little raft. I'm like, good luck with that. Everybody in the bus, you know, just has their head down. And finally, some milk toast guy up front gets pushed into it. I'm a sucker, and he raises his hand. And they all oh, thank you very much. We just need one more. And they're berating everybody. I mean, the pressure in the, in the bus is fantastic, and no, nobody's responding. And then it apparently got to my wife, who, I kid you not, elbowed me. She just elbows me. Oh, come on, be a man. <laughs> I mean, I turned and shot darts at her, and I went, shot my hand up. That what you want, baby? <laughs> I looked at the guide at the front. She said, well, thank you very much. I said, you got it. I looked at my wife. <laughs> About 30 seconds later, I'm crumbling. <laughs> I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I can't. I, can't I, don't, I don't want to even be in the water. I do. Everything inside is starting to build pressure. And then we get in our stupid little raft, and they teach me what I'm supposed to do as captain. But they do it in the lagoon, the calm. I put your paddle here, here, here's how you control it. Well, it's kind of working, okay. And then they push us out in the current. Which means everything they taught us is meaningless. We literally got out into the current and the boat, the raft is just going with the current. I'm doing every move they said. I was powerless. The only good news is that as we were heading toward the embankment because it was like a sideways current, Sitting postage stamp alongside the embankment was Mr. Milk Toast and his family because they didn't know what they were doing either. And I said to the team, I said, it's not going to be a problem. We're going right toward them. We'll just bounce off and go down the river. Might as well relax because everything we're doing isn't working. Unfortunately, we didn't bounce. We came and when we hit, the force of the water was so strong that it kept pushing our raft and lifted it up over and capsized. Now I already told you I'm going to die someday, but I ain't going to die drowning. And I love my wife, but when she went over, I dove out of the raft into Mr. Milktoast's raft. I mean, literally, I landed. I'm like, you want man? There's man for you. Every man for himself. How about that, baby? Because I dove into the other raft. I'm laying in the middle of Milktoast's raft. Their family's like looking at me, and I'm looking at them. And I'm like, I ain't going to die. I had enough presence of mind to jump and, and lean out and hold my raft, but my three teammates were gone. I prayed for them, but I, I'm not going to die. I'm laying there. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I hear this echoing voice yelling, Captain, kid you not, Captain. I finally figure out that this is one of the female guides who apparently can control her little raft and just stop in the middle of the water yelling at me, Captain. I turn around, what? Captain, get in your boat and go catch our people. <laughs> and I yelled back, I never wanted to be captain. I am not captain. I don't have people anymore. And I'm going to get on the embankment, crawl up and walk four miles back because I'm not going to die today in the water. <laughs> I mean, we're yelling back and forth. This is all happening. I said, how can one guy who is already capsized and lost everybody going to do it on his own? Said you lay on the front of your raft like Indiana Jones and you paddle down the river and go get your people. <laughs> it's a horrible argument that I eventually lost. <laughs> so I got in my raft and I Indiana Jones down the water and I found my wife. <laughs> <laughs> she was shaking. I, I tell you honestly, you go ask her. I mean, that was the closest experience she ever had to drowning. I can tell you that she never asked me again, be a man and go uh, captain a boat. <laughs> now listen, 
You could say that the pressure was the water, but the reality is the pressure was already in me. The conflict was already in me. When verse 8 is delivered, Paul's saying, get rid of the pressure that's in you of anger, rage, malice, slander. Don't bring a person under pressure to a relationship because you'll bring all that conflict within. And then when that hits the water, it goes ugly. Verse 8 is supposed to cooperate with verse 15. Verse 8, get rid of anger, rage, malice, the conflict within, and replace it with let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let Christ replace the conflict within you with the peace of God so that from the inside out you are at peace. Let me give you a picture of that. God gave me a picture years ago to help deal with coming from a family of violence and anger and a lot of anger and rage and issues I had to deal with in me. And so here's a picture. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some help. Uh, Cameron, uh, uh, Travis, y'all, c- come on, give it up for them. Uh, I need you two guys. Everybody give it up for Cameron and Travis. We need you guys uh, to help me do this. All right, here's what we're going to do. Um, yeah, right. All right. First of all, it's going to be a competition, okay. like and there's 50 it. bucks like on the line. Touch Thank not. Oh, okay, go. 50 bucks on the line okay. to the winner. In fact, uh, Travis, you can go ahead and go first. Why don't you okay. step up, I would love and to uh, the, Cameron, yeah. you and I will watch, and, and here's what we're going to do. Okay. you got to take the five uh, beach balls, and okay. you got to hold them under the water uh, for like 30 seconds, okay? <laughs> Just right. as many right. as you can, right. really, as all of them. Just get them under the water, all the yeah, way under yeah. the water. Not sitting on top of the water, all the way under the water. Okay. On the count of three, I'm going to tell you go, and then we're going to count it down, like from 30, 29. Okay. In fact, okay. everybody, you can so, help me count it down. All right, so this is how yeah, we're going to yeah, do yeah. it. Okay, one, two, three, you ready? One, two, three, go. Okay. 30, 29, 29 28, <laughs> 27, right. 26, 25, 24. Push it under. They're not even under yet. One, 20, 19, 18. Get you like oil water. these. You 16, like oil these. 15, push it on me. 12, 12. All the way under. 10, 9, 8, 7. Six, get it under the water. Four, three, two, one, zero. I get it? That's pathetic. But really give it up close. for Travis. He really? gave me a good shot. Harder than it looks. I'm not going to lie. It's, hard. it's harder than it looks. It's harder than it, it looks. Is. It yeah, is. okay. Uh, uh, wow. Towel here? Gee, oh, yeah, feel free. Use the towel because yeah. that was awesomely pathetic. Here, but there's a. Okay. <laughs> there we go. There Cameron, is. this is oh, your there. turn for 50. This is your turn for 50 okay. bucks. Right. Uh, okay. I think I got four. I, 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 got four. I already know okay. what I'm doing with it. Yeah, we have, we have it on camera, Apparently okay? I gotta get a new shirt uh, on the count of three, you're going to start. One, right. two. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. I want to I wanna do a little something. I want to set this up. Uh, just a second. <laughs> Would you just relax? <laughs> I just relax. It's not a big deal. I'm just this setting seems, it up. This seems unfair. It, uh, I'm not going to lie. A whiner, whiner, whiner. This seems unfair. What about me? Okay, here you go. Okay, you ready? Get, okay, this, I just, you have to accomplish <laughs> the same thing. Okay. okay, you got to right, get all you. five all um, great. beach balls underwater right. for 30 seconds. You're ready yet. on the count of three. Uh, one, two, three, go. 30, Everybody 20, count down. 30, 30 29, 28, 27, 26, 25. So Stop. He's already down. beat you. He's already beat you. He killed you. He nailed it. That was fantastic. 50 bucks. 50 bucks. Let's give it up for Cameron. He nailed it. Yeah. Don't be a sore loser. Don't be a sore loser. You splitting that with me. All right. Little tongue in cheek. We're obviously having fun. Maybe you get the point. See, I grew up with so much conflict within that whenever the pressure of the water came my way, another person, relationship, marriage, family, I was just trying to suppress it. And I thought Christianity was suppressing it. It was exhausting yourself and suppressing anger, rage, malice. That's not what God means. It means to take this core of yourself and surrender it to Jesus. And let God do a supernatural work in your soul that lets the peace of Christ reign in you so that you are at peace within. And when there's no pressure within, the water's not a problem. You see, this picture of marriage and family begins with us winning within. And if you let the peace of Christ Let the peace, the what church? 
peace of Christ rule in your heart, watch this, you become a person at peace within. And then you bring a person at peace within into marriage conflict. And imagine if two people at peace within deal with marriage conflict, they can get through and resolve conflict like nobody's business. It's transforming. Let's talk about conflict with marriage. Paul gives us a framework for marriage to work. And the framework he gives us is from Colossians chapter 3. He gives it brief and then more thoroughly in Ephesians 5. And it's more like governance and guidance for marriage relationship. Let me put it on the screen. It's worth a whole read from the message version of Ephesians 5. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Mutually submit to one another because of Jesus. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to the church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. It's a beautiful biblical picture of two people who let Christ rule in their hearts with his peace. And then when they come to conflict, they have a way of navigating it. I was reading a book recently by Hisani and Daniel Pettiford. Hassani has been speaking for the last 15, 20 years from college campuses on up and writing books from purity to, to dating to marriage and family and providing counseling and dealing with subjects that are culturally relevant and, and, and some really hot topics. And, and in the course of that, I had a conversation with him this past week, and I brought about 10 minutes of that conversation to you. I think it'll be helpful. Listen in. 12 Stone, this is friend of mine, Hassani Pettiford. And Hassani, you've been a 12-stoner for two, three years now, and uh, you've been putting your career energy into Couples Academy, which is really helping uh, marriages that have gone through a fair, how to recover mm -hmm. from that. Uh, you've been coaching people in divorce prevention, uh, counseling people and marriage conflict kinds of things. And uh, I've read your book, The Audacity of Marriage, by you and Danielle. And now, how long have you and Danielle been married? We've been married for 15 wonderful 15. years. And you had to call them wonderful <laughs> years, right? <laughs> Would she say 15 wonderful years? Who knows? <laughs> we may get to that. And you have children? Four girls. Four girls, yes, all sir. girls. All girls. And what are the ages? Paris is 13, uh -huh. Madison is 12, Savannah is 7, and Sydney is... Uh, six. Six. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, okay, hey, you, you have four track. girls, dude. You, can, you have all the free. And, and no, boys, do you at least have like a male dog to help you? I don't have a you? dog, a cat, a fish. It's just me and five, five females in one home. to one. Yeah. See, God was gracious in my home and gave me three boys. <laughs> and so three boys, one girl, it's four to two, and that's barely even. But that's your world. So you have a, a, a lot to bring to the table. I do to this conversation. So let's talk about uh, conflict in marriage. Mm -hmm. In your experience mm -hmm. with so many uh, couples, uh, where do couples tend to get stuck in conflict and why? Well, first of all, it's important to understand what conflict is. Conflict is nothing more than two opposing wills operating in the same place at the same time. And so oftentimes it's hard to come up with a way to work through those conflicts because we have two completely different perceptions about how to handle things. And what happens is over the course of time, couples go from being soulmates to roommates to roommates because of this conflict. And some of the key areas where it really shows up the most is in the area of our communication. That's probably the number one issue that most couples have and because they can't effectively communicate, it prevents them from resolving issues in their marriage. You try and help couples breakthrough, and you sit with couples in some of their most intense breakdowns, an affair 
I mean, that's a huge breach of trust. And you major in those conversations. What are some of the most helpful things you try to bring to couples uh, to, to coach them into restoration? I think one of the keys, first of all, you know, I focus on the marital recovery, the individual recovery process, and doing those things combined, couples are able to make a quantum leap forward in their success. But then you have the affair recovery process, which is a very detailed, specific process that you go through in order to properly heal. And so in the context of conflict, I think one of the biggest keys that we have to remember is that we're taught often that compromise is the key to a successful relationship. And though I understand the concept behind it, I have a problem with that. Because compromise, in essence, creates a win-lose scenario. So someone wins and someone loses. And that may work in terms of resolving short-term, immediate situations. But over the course of time, if someone's constantly compromising for the other person, it creates an imbalance in the relationship. And so you get to a point where you're just ready to go rogue. And so because we have all of these unresolved issues, it results in affairs. It results in divorce. And so I think a better concept would be something that we call marital negotiation. Because a negotiation is a win-win scenario based upon the policy of joint agreement where you both win and come out on top. But I've been through what I'll call negotiation efforts with Marsha over the years. Right. And in our earlier years, when it was more challenging to say the least, uh, it was hard to lead a negotiation when you're in the negotiation. True. Is, is, so do you find that many times couples can't really do that together? Do we always need outside help? Or can you figure out how to negotiate together and get well, to a, a win-win? I, I think, first of all, I think there has to be ground rules for effective communication. If there's no form of government in your home, if you don't have laws, if, in essence, that you abide by, then you have a lawless home. And lawlessness leads to anarchy. So you have to have a foundation to begin with. But I absolutely believe in bringing third parties in, whether that be uh, a marriage expert, a coach, um, a marriage mentor, another couple that you admire, and you say, you know what, they have something that we could probably glean from you know, in our marriage to make our relationship better. So bringing an outside voice is important because you're emotionally connected to your spouse. So you're listening with emotional ears. But when you bring someone in who's emotionally detached, they bring in a level of wisdom and expertise and just a sound mind to help you balance out the issues that you're struggling with. Now, as you're talking, you, you, you have this um, knit nicely. You're very clear, and I, it all makes sense when you say it. I'm imagining that that's how it's always been for you and Danielle. <laughs> you guys got married. You've become a marriage expert, mm -hmm. so this was, is all, always been easy, right? Well, I became a marriage <laughs> expert, if you were learning how not to do all the wrong things. <laughs> the first few years That's how of most our... of us get good at anything, isn't yes, it? Yes, <laughs> yes. I, I would say, you know, year three into our marriage, we were on the verge of divorce. Uh, we were ready to throw in the towel and call it quits. And, and either I was going to divorce her or she was going to divorce me. But it was in that moment that I made the decision to divorce me from myself, hmm. to divorce myself from my poor communication habits because I was a verbal assassin, to divorce myself from my false sense of masculinity uh, and manhood, which wasn't working in favor of my union to divorce myself from certain beliefs and concepts that I held on to. And once I divorced myself from those things, I was able to remain married to my wife. And so, yes, we had many struggles in the very beginning of our marriage and went through a similar process that I now take many couples through. Talk to me about some techniques. I, I know there are things that you, you have to give to people that are practical. Like, if you, how do you win in communication? How do you navigate uh, the conflict, because you're in the tension of it. Yeah. Um, so I've heard you talk about that stuff before. Help us with any techniques you try and bring to couples. Well, there's a few things. So number one, we need to understand that there are three components to effective communication. Number one, you have your words, what you say. That represents 7% of your communication. Then there's, there's your tonality, how you say what you say. That's 23%. And then your facial expressions and body language, 70%. And so oftentimes, these different components send across different messaging that becomes problematic. And so we're not hearing what our partner is saying because we're so caught up in how they said what they said, which gets us in trouble. So once you learn how to properly navigate through those three forms of communication, 
Number one, that will work. Number two, I think it's important to realize that you have to make the Bible final authority in your marriage. And I think ultimately when it comes to compatibility, we think that our partner has to think like us and be wired like us and perceive like us. And God did not make us that way. So we have to get back into the word and find out what the governing principles that are outlined in the scripture that we need to submit to in order to find some type of balance. And as long as that's the authority, we both win as opposed to one of us losing and one of us winning. You know, a third thing is I think we need to give up the need to have to be right. When you have to be right, by default, it makes your partner wrong. And if you're always trying to get in a position where you're trying to prove your partner to be wrong, and even if you are right, ultimately you lose in the end anyway, because now that person walks away defeated. They walk away feeling as if they have no voice, no opinion. And so, you know, I think it's important to realize that when you're discussing things, the discussion should be about what is right. When you're arguing, it's more about who is right. That's a distinction. And so by having these key things in place, I think you can really overcome a lot of the challenges that you experience to have a mutually beneficial, fulfilling relationship. Last thought. As I hear you talk through what it, what it takes to resolve conflict, you speak with a hopefulness. Do you really believe that conflict-filled marriages can return to restored love, deep companionship, uh, emotional intimacy? Do you, do you really buy this stuff? The reason why I believe it is because, number one, I'm an example of it. As I tell all of my clients, this is not just my profession, it's my passion because I've been in your seat. I know where you are, I know what you're going through. And if we could make it, then you could make it. We've been and dealt with couples who have been in some of the worst situations that you can even imagine. And through the power of love, through the power of forgiveness and proper reconciliation, you can bounce back from any hardship. And in essence, your relationship could be better after the crisis than it was prior to the crisis because the crisis makes you aware of what was wrong in the relationship in the first place. So as you begin to make course corrections, there is hope for your future. That's a great word. Thanks, Hassani. Thank you. Man, let's say thank you. Well done, Hassani, for adding that insight to us. So we talk about this conflict within and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, but then we get to practical things like Hassani is walking through that are, that are skills and techniques and a way that you engage one another in order to bring resolution to the table, and then we get to family conflict. Let's talk for a moment on the subject of family conflict. Raising a family means teaching them in how to resolve conflict, guiding them through conflict, because every family has conflict. Now, you've mitigated a tremendous amount of conflict just by applying what we've been walking through these three weeks and even up to this point in the teaching. But Paul still gives us insight in Colossians 3. And we've read it, but let me bring you back to it. Chapter 3, verse 13. Listen what he wrote. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgiveness is central. Hassani referenced that. In fact, Paul is reminding us to forgive as God has forgiven us. How do we forgive? As God has forgiven us. How do we forgive? As God has forgiven us. In other words, God modeled right from the beginning. We know how to walk through conflict and bring resolution because God showed us how. Right in the Garden of Eden when mankind sinned against God. He said, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. There's going to be consequence. But then the next thing God did when we sinned, which demonstrated how you resolve conflict to restored relationships. So this is what we walk through with our family. We've trained them all through the years, and this is how we practice it, and it's modeled from God. A, there is righteousness. If you have notes, you can fill in the blank, follow along. In other words, a family has to agree together there is that which is righteous, meaning that which is true, good, godly, God's wisdom, there are things that are right. When Hassani talks about the word of God being the center and the authority in your marriage and family, that's critical because you've got to know what you're looking to as truth. It gives guidance. What you're doing under this agreement to righteousness is not arguing over who is right, but what is right. What is right is a discussion. Who is right is an argument. 
And if you're off on who is right, you're already in trouble. There's going to be no resolution to that. You begin with what is right. That's why all through the series, when we talk about build solid with Christ as the center, build sacred, how do you bring biblical values into practical family values? Set your calendar around those. And there are things that are righteous in our family. I talked about them last week. You know, in our calendar, me getting home by, by 6 o'clock p.m. for family matters. Even if I choose to work later that night and it's all prearranged, nonetheless, I got to stop time. To miss that is going to create tension, conflict. I'm accountable to that. There's righteousness in our family. We have righteousness when it comes to our budget. Here's our family budget. You live inside the budget. When you get outside that, you create conflict. But there is righteousness. In other words, immediately... It takes us to an understanding of what is unrighteous. There is unrighteousness. And you don't understand unrighteousness until you understand righteousness. So a lot of what's going on in conflict, whether it's direct or in calendar, is because we have not yet pre-agreed what righteousness is. So you got to follow the budget. And our family, between Marsha and I, before you can bring a conflict to your spouse, you have to have prayed about it. That's a righteous agreement. In fact, 50% of the stuff I ever want to bring to Marsha and confront her on gets resolved before I talk to her because God says, Kevin, you're being petty and you're the problem. <laughs> I ain't going to bring that to Marsha. <laughs> so it's righteous for us to pray before we address conflict with each other. See how it mitigates, diffuses. With our kids, it's righteous in this family. We don't hit. We don't hit each other. I, I, I grew up in a family where there were real fights, fist fights. Was, there was violence. I mean, real deal stuff. And that's not, that's not righteous. So in this family, we don't hit each other. It's out of bounds. It's unrighteous. We don't call each other names. We respect each other. You don't take something that belongs to somebody else. You have to ask to borrow it. You don't take it. And you don't say, well, I was just borrowing it. If you didn't ask, it's taking <laughs> And you return it when you said you would in as good or better condition or you replace it. You respect other people and their things. You don't bring toys or technology to the kitchen table. This is family. Focuses on each other. You don't disrespect your mom and dad. See, so we have things that are righteous. And therefore, when something goes wrong, there is an unrighteousness. There is a wrong. And you know it is because you know what righteousness is. And so God says, if you sin, you'll surely die because there's a right and there's a wrong. And then the next thing that has to happen is someone has to repent. Someone has to what? Repent. Someone has to say, you know what? I am in the bad. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry enough to return to righteousness. And, and, and what needs to follow that is someone needs to forgive. Someone needs to what? Forgive. God models the whole thing for us. It's what we do and walk through with our kids and in our family. You've got to solve and resolve conflict. You know how it works in the beginning. There was God. God created us in his image. This is us. He had a great relationship, fellowship with God. But then we sinned against God, committed unrighteousness. We left him, and that put us in a chasm. And so now we're here, far from God. But God loves us, and so God sent his son, Jesus. And what Jesus did on the cross was he bridged the gap. He paid the penalty for our sin. But you're still not automatically forgiven. You don't go spend eternity with God. You have to repent. That's your side of it. Confess that you've sinned. Sorry, sorry enough to quit and return to righteousness. And God's side is forgive. What's God's side? Forgive, which he graciously does. Now, this is a model in our relationship with God, but this is a model for a family. So we sit down with our kids, and we know ahead of time, we agree on what is righteousness. And when somebody does something wrong, we call it what it is. That's unrighteous. Yeah, it is. Compared, yeah, it is. And so if somebody needs to repent, you need to ask for forgiveness from your brother or sister or whoever in the family, and then the other person has to forgive. It means they have to take the loss and restore the relationship. We practice this in our family. That's how you win and solve conflict in family, and then in marriage, and within. But honestly, I don't know how you negotiate any conflict until you solve the greatest conflict, and that is conflict with God, right here. And so we sense the press of God to attend to something at the close of this series, to give you a moment to resolve your conflict with God for two people, two groups of people, two types. One, those of you who have never said yes to God. And you're going to have a moment today to resolve your conflict with God and be restored to him. 
Group two, those of you who have come to faith in God at some point in your past, but he is no longer at the center of your life, yourself is. And so I'm gonna turn the service over to the campus pastors and I, as I do, this is gonna be a life transforming day for any who will put Christ at the center of their lives. So right here in this room, in the cafe theater, let it go sacred. Listen, I'm just talking to you. I had a prompt from God that was pretty clear. Give a sacred moment, some time. So I changed the way I wrote the message, carved a few moments out, and we're gonna address it. I think God wants to do business. There are some among us who have never said yes to Jesus, and you know who you are. You might be quite sincerely spiritual, but you've not surrendered to Christ. You might be quite religious, but you've come on your own terms. And there's only one way to God the Father, and that is through Jesus. He made a way, we repent, he forgives, and you're restored to him. What that might look like in a prayer, I'll put on the screen. Father in heaven, I know that your way is righteous, and that I've sinned against you and will die in my sin. I repent of my sin, I ask you to forgive me through Jesus, I surrender to you as Lord of my life. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. That's what that kind of a prayer looks like. Now there's a second group, but I'm gonna tell you, we're gonna have a moment. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, I'm gonna invite you to get up from your seat and walk forward and stand right here and you're thinking, well, I'm never gonna do that. That, would, that feels humbling, and it is. It is to humble yourself before God. And if you won't stand from here, you won't stand from for your marriage or your family or outside here anyway. But there's a second group. And that group is those of you who have said yes to Christ at some point in the past, but you're out of fellowship with God. It's described in Revelation 3. In Revelation 3, Jesus paints a picture of standing outside your heart's door and knocking and says, if you would open the door, I would come in and have fellowship with you. He wrote that to Christians in the church of Laodicea. And he called them lukewarm. You've become lukewarm and passive. You're pretending you're walking with me, but you've pushed me out of your life, really. You're living in the comfort of sin. You're, you're living with you more at the center than me at the center of your life, and it's leaking all over your relationships in your life, and you can't get it together because you're pretending you're mine, but you're not walking in fellowship with me. And you need a recommit. You need a restoration. You need a fresh start. You need to put Christ back at the center. Those two groups, and you know who you are. And I'm gonna give you a moment for you to get right with God and settle that conflict and, and recommit, almost revow. And you're thinking, well, I'm not gonna humble myself. What will people think? Who really cares? It's your life. You're gonna stand before the living God and say, I wanna be restored to this and put you back at the center of my life. So I'm gonna ask everyone to stand here in the cafe theater. This is for everyone. Let this be a sacred moment. And my sense from the Lord was, if I'll just lead and step back and wait, he'll do the moving on you. So if you've never said yes to Christ, you have a moment right now. But that moment is going to come forward and stand right here. I'll stand here. You won't be on your own. And listen, whether it's one person or 21 or 41 or whatever, it doesn't matter. We're giving the moment. But I sense the Spirit of God intends to move. And there's a number of us for whom this is an awakening kind of moment. For those of you who have never said yes to Christ, and there's a number among us, will you take this opportunity? Because if God's drawing you, you sense it in your spirit. Say yes to him. We'll put the prayer back on the screen. If this is a moment for you to move from almost lukewarm passivity, or you know Christ is not the center, then I'm going to stand here and wait. The front is open. And you just come and you just wait right here. Stand before the Lord. You begin to pray. Maybe a husband and a wife. Maybe a couple as a husband and wife. You need to look at each other and say, you know what? God's not the center of our marriage like he used to be. And you just need to have the courage as a husband and wife to come and settle this before him. Maybe there's some men and you're like, man, I, I know. I know I'm not living for Christ, but I got the tagline. And it would be humbling beyond words, but God opposes proud and gives grace to the humble. So I'm just going to wait. Just going to wait. If you're in the cafe theater, you can walk across the hallway. How about it? What are you going to do? Oh, you sense the, the pressure. You sense the spirit mess with you. And 
those of you who are coming, you can just begin to pray and offer to God the things that you know need to be surrendered to Him. It's need to be freshly surrendered for Him to be center of your life. not done you can be done but he's not done there's some of us who are just holdouts like everything in us is like I'm not going down there but you can't solve this where you're standing I'm just telling you not today I'm not gonna solve this where you're standing you're gonna solve this with surrender hardest thing in the world for some men is to just actually surrender some women to actually surrender good for you good for you out of here and say I wish I had that moment back I don't know if you get the moment back I just know when God says I'm going to do something you either say yes or you're unsurrendered to him don't live unsurrendered you can't have God solving what's broken your life and what's broken your relationships what's broke with your kids and what's broken your family you can't doesn't work on your terms it works on his and those of you who are coming, you just begin to pray and you give to God what you know is just unsurrendered. Just offer it to him. You just tell him right where you stand. That's unsurrendered. I know we don't do this that often. We don't wait like this. I just knew that God said wait. Just give him some time because there's some people who just won't respond without the weight of this landing on them. So here's what we're going to do, and you can keep coming while I lead this group. All of you standing at the front, you're offering to him and you're surrendering to him the things that you know are resistant where he's not the center. For some of you, this is a fresh commitment. You're coming to faith in Christ for the first time, and it's a beautiful thing. For others of you, you're putting Christ back to the center of your life where he needs to be and you long for him to be. But we're all going to make this prayer, our prayer, to accomplish the same. In fact, everyone in the room at Cafe Theater, we're going to read this prayer aloud. This is sacred to the Lord, and God will do the very thing he promises. And there's great freedom on the other side of surrender. So everyone in the room, read it, but all of you up front here, look up to the screen and you offer this prayer aloud and we're going to join you in reading this prayer but it is your prayer here we go everyone reading together father in heaven i know that your way is righteous and that i have sinned against you and will die in my sin i repent of my sin i ask you to forgive me through jesus i surrender to you as lord of my life help me to live for you in jesus name amen and church, God does all of that. And what do we do in celebration for everyone? Yeah. Yeah. Y'all ought to high-five each other down here. Just high-five each other. Just look around to somebody. High-five them. You don't have to know them. In fact, as you head back to your seats, y'all should high-five them down the aisle. Yeah, just high-five them down the aisle all the way back to their seats. If they pass your aisle, give them a high-five. That's a beautiful thing in the kingdom of God. God forgives, God restores, God does in your life what only God could do. Nobody else could do that. 
I want to play a little video for you, just encouragement of a, of a family of making transition into the next that God has for them. And it's really built around small group. God uses small groups because this is a catalyst for growth, but small groups are the community where the roots go down. I want you to listen to the story as the offerings received. Hi, my name is David, and um, this is my wife. Hi, Emily. Uh, we have two kids, her daughter is Lily, she's a 13-year-old, and Christopher, he is 10-year-old. We go back from high school, so me dating her, um, her mom was always so consistent. I'm like, you need to go to church. I'm like, no, I don't. Like, yeah, you need to go. I'm like, no, I don't, because Jesus is everywhere. And we, we gave it a try. We went uh, to her church, you know, we, you know, we went there. Um, a couple of times, I just didn't like it. Our daughter was, I think, the one who wanted to be part of the church. She said, well, I have a friend, and she goes to 12 Stone. He was like, well, I guess, yeah, we can, we can go, and it's just going to be another church. By the surprise, the first time that we went, and it was just amazing. The first person that we, we saw was Barry. Barry, um, he was on the parking lot, and you kind of feel welcome, like, what are these people doing? Okay, whatever. So we kept going, and we see the people at the front of the church, and hey, you know, welcome. Then we go inside, and everybody's so friendly. So as we kept going uh, back to church, we keep hearing, well, you guys should join a small group. And she was the one, like, looking on her phone. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what a small group was, but she, she kind of knew. She just got her phone, and started looking for one. I didn't know what kind of small group I was looking for. The only person that we recognized because of the, they had their picture in there, it was Barry. He seems kind of nice and approachable, so maybe we want to give it a try with them. It actually applied to us. It, it, they were talking about how to raise kids, you know, like how to approach to them, how to um, love them. It helped a lot because we get to talk to real people, you can just tell them. So this is going on in my life. What am I doing wrong? How can you help me? Based on the Bible, what do I need to do? It helped me as a person, as a, as a mother, as a wife, as a friend, in so many ways. It's like family, like family, like friends, and people that you can be real with. Not a great story. Good for them. And this is a time when many of you are saying, well, how do I drive roots deeper? And that's really what small group does. It's, it's where you take the faith that you have in your heart and it gets translated into your life. And so you do that with others in community and you study the Bible and you ask real questions and you get support and encouragement and you grow together. It's one of the beautiful things. And you can find those small groups that are starting multiple times. You can find them online. So you can go to tostone.com and, and get on the uh, small groups line. You can use the app. You if you don't have the 12 Stone app on your mobile uh, phone, the mobile app, get the mobile app, download it, find small group, get in on it, be powerful, it'll help you. Now I'm going to close the series. For God is good, and all the time, have a blessed week in the Lord. We'll see you next weekend.